tonight? Away in the manger, go tell it on the mountain, angels we have heard on high. Last night, Chris and I watched a, uh, a musical program put on by, well, partly put on by one of the former members of our church, Eileen Hoffman, and her son, Andy. Many of you probably remember Andy when he was young. He sang that Go Talent on the Mountain. You saw that, right, Lynn? Chris said you'd watch that. And it's exciting to see uh, uh, those that we've kind of lost touch in still serving the Lord and still. Andy was singing his heart out at that song. It was wonderful to see. And he's a 30, I don't know, 31, 32-year-old man now. Praise the Lord. So, uh, yeah, enjoy these songs. We kind of put them away after a few more weeks, but uh, such a great message as, as Larry was referring to there. Acts chapter 3 this evening, we'll continue in our series that uh, we've been in. Tonight we look at the idea from lame to leaping, from lame to leaping, Acts chapter 3. And many of us have probably heard this story many times, but to try to look at it tonight, read it tonight with fresh eyes, try to make it as if you've never even heard this before and you're hearing for the first time. And I was, as I was thinking about this and preparing for this, you know, it's, we become so familiar with these and we think of them as stories, but these events really happened. I mean, what we're going to read tonight really happened. It may have been thousands of years ago, but this thing in, unfolded in real life in the lives of very real people. And uh, so try to put yourself there, if you could, as, as we go to the temple in this uh, new church and these believers that are now uh, going forth and sharing their faith. So Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms? And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I I have, give I to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered into the temple, walking and leaping, praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame which was healed by Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them into the porch that was called Solomon's Greatly Wondering. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word tonight and to gather as a church family, Lord, to uh, reflect on and pray for missionaries that have become uh, dear friends that um, we haven't seen in ages and may not ever see again until we get to heaven. But Lord, you've knit our hearts together, and Lord, we always enjoy thanking on them and lifting them up in prayer and asking your blessing upon their ministry. And then as we sing songs, Lord, we, we desire that you'd be pleased and glorified and honored by them as we offer them back to you as a gift. And, Lord, that we'd be challenged by the message and cause to reflect upon the truth and the doctrine that exists in each of them. 
And Lord, as we open your word now, Lord, we ask your blessing and your presence in this very room to show us what it is that we need to glean from this familiar story that we could leave here differently. And then, Lord, as Master Club is going on and nursery and, and youth group, all throughout this building, various activities are taking place to teach, to witness, to disciple, to serve. And, uh, Lord, may you be glorified in every one of these situations. And those that are watching from home, Lord, bless them. May your presence be as real to them as it is in this place tonight. And so, Father, again, we love you. We ask your blessing on this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So a quick summary from last week. I always like to try and go back and just briefly reflect so that we, as we move forward, we find ways to tie it all together. So last week we looked at, uh, in Acts 2, 42 to 47. I'm not going to read all of that, but uh, I'm just beginning it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. One short little verse that has just so much packed into it. And we tried to unpack some of that last week, and I hope the challenge was helpful to you and some of the applications came uh, from this verse. And the first one from last week was simply continue. It says they continued steadfastly. So press on, stay faithful, uh, keep serving, keep at it. Whether you're a, a one-year-old in Christ or you've been saved for 50 or 60 or 70 years or your age gets 80 or 90 or whatever it may be, just keep serving the Lord however he leads you and equips you and enables you to do that. And the, these young, young disciples, some of them had only been saved for a few years as they ministered with Christ. Some of them are brand new saved. A couple thousand, it says, were added, 3,000 added to the church in verse 41. And so they're continuing steadfast. So that was a challenge to us just to continue. We said if you're looking for a theme word for 2023, think about that word continue. Help me to stay focused moving forward in my walk with the Lord. Secondly, we said uh, purpose to live a balanced Christian life. And we talked about the balance that was here, and we see it in verse 42. They continued steadfastly, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. And so we see that. And that, those things need to be present in our life as a church and as individuals. So purpose, decide, determine to live a balanced Christian life. And then finally, Determined to use your or God's resources because we really are just stewards. Everything we have belongs to the Lord. And so the things that God has placed in our hand, determined to use those to help others. And so other parts of this passage we looked at last night talked about the unity and fellowship that had grown among these new believers. And they are willing to help meet each other's needs, even if it involves sacrifice and selling things that they had. So we asked the question, do you see yourself as an owner or as a steward? Are you managing what God has placed in your trust? Or is it yours? We, we need to see ourselves as stewards. Are you hoarding things when others are in need of help? And that's a challenge that we need to look inward and, and to uh, answer that question and allow the Lord to make adjustments. And then we said, turn your gaze outward. If you're looking outward and not focused on what's going on in your own little world, in your own little life, you'll see a world that's in need, a world that's hurting, a world that needs hope. And as we turn our gaze outward, we're able to use the resources that we have to, to share the gospel, to open our mouths boldly, to share resources to meet needs and so forth. So, again, so much in that passage last week. You can always go back in any of these messages and pull them up on our website or some of the other apps. 
and listen to anything Pastor Bill has preached or anyone that's been in this pulpit, messages are there, and they're certainly worth listening to again. So as we trans- transition to chapter 3, the, the passage we just read there, uh, first off, verse 1, let's look at that again. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. So once again, we see that the ministry that Jesus had begun continues now through his disciples. And as I said last week, because of the things that the disciples were doing, it's as if Jesus was still walking around the streets of Jerusalem because people were still being healed, sight was still being restored, hearing was being restored, uh, speech was being restored to the dumb. Uh, I mean, all these things were still happening almost as if Jesus was still there on earth walking those streets, performing those many miracles. And, you know, the reality is he still is. He is now working through the disciples, just like even today, Jesus is still working through us. And what a blessing that is. And, and, and these are the things that we need to be about as we talk about being about our Father's business. So it says, now Peter and John. Peter and John are an interesting duo here. If you know anything about and maybe have studied their lives, in, in many ways they're complete opposites of each other. And without the Holy Spirit leading them, and again, we saw last week and the week before how they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and especially those, those that had been saved anew. But even as Pentecost came, the disciples were filled with the Holy Ghost. And now the Holy Ghost is leading them to, to work together. And they may have been uh, two men that got on each other's nerves constantly, didn't necessarily think they would be good partners to work together. But because the Holy Spirit is now residing in them, they're hanging around together, and they're serving together, and they're ministering together, and they're going to the temple together, and they're unified. They're now working together for a common cause. They're not focusing on what they want. At one point, John, the brother of James, was saying, hey, Lord, you know, when you get to your place of of, uh, authority and power, you know, can we sit on either side of you? And again, a selfish focus of wanting to to be elevated. But now they're members of a common body, and they walk together, and they work together. And they're more than just friends. They're fellow laborers in Christ. So Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. So the Bible says here in verse 1, it was the hour of prayer, being about the ninth hour. Well, that means it was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And this is one of the places that the new believers would, would meet together and fellowship together and pray with each other. And they were, heading to the, they were heading into the temple. And again, as we saw last week, they would also meet from house to house. So it wasn't just in the temple. They were getting together often on a regular basis, on a daily basis, to share, to fellowship, to pray, to encourage each other, to remain steadfast in doctrine and the breaking of bread and all those things that we looked at. So now as they enter into the temple they encounter a man. Verse 2 says, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Let's think about this man for a few moments here. What a tragic life this man led. He was born lame, we see here in verse 2. We don't know how old he is. We don't know how long that he had gone through this routine day after day after day, month after month, year after year. Uh, 
Obviously, as we came to the end of that passage we read, when they saw this man in the temple leaping and shouting and praising, they knew exactly who it was. He was well known. He was a fixture at the beautiful gate of the temple. So that implies to me he had been there a very long time. Maybe he was 30. Maybe he was 40. Maybe he was 50. And his entire life had been doing that sort of event. He was born lame. As I thought about that, you know, I, th- I was thinking we've had several, and praise the Lord for this, we've had several births in our church over the last number of months or year. Um, Josh and Chelsea had a baby not too long ago. Obviously, Kristen and Brett had a baby uh, most recently. And there are others that, uh, that we can think of, others that are probably with child that don't even, don't even know about at this point. But imagine if one of those children or one of your children was born lame. Certainly there would be heartache as certain milestones come and go and nothing changed. The baby was not standing when the baby was supposed to be standing or not taking the first steps when it's the time that babies take their first steps. As they become a toddler and and maybe a little boy, they're unable to run and to jump and to play in the same way that all his same-aged peers are doing out in the neighborhood. Um, He was lame. He literally had to be carried anywhere he went. It says there, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. And so because he could not walk, it also meant he could not work. He couldn't hold down a job. All he could do would sit there and beg and be carried wherever he needed to go. He had always been a burden to someone because they had to carry him. And he was, as he was sitting there begging, he was hoping that someone would take notice of him, have pity, up, pity upon him, offer him some sort of kind gesture in the form of money, that he could use possibly to buy himself food or to care for some of the basic needs of life that he had. And so as he was begging here on this particular day when Peter and John came in, the thought of being healed probably never even crossed his mind. In fact, if he ever had thoughts of that, they were probably had died out long ago, years and years ago. And he realized his destiny was to come to this place day in and day out, to be carried by someone, to be placed here, and to beg for some small gift. This man was born lame. He had never taken a step. He had never leapt. He had never stood. He had never walked. He had never ran. Again, try to put yourself there. Maybe you know someone similar to that. I have a watch that uh, tells me how many steps I take every day. And I look back over the last week, I took over 80,000 steps in a week. And we're looking at a man here in the Word of God who had never taken a single step in his entire life. Uh, What a sad state. Verse 2 also mentions that he was carried and laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. 
I guess there are worse places to beg than this. At least he had chosen a place that was known for its beauty to solicit alms from people. And I think it's ironic that this man who had known little of natural beauty in life found himself daily at the most beautiful of all the gates leading into the temple. Apparently it was the most opulent, decorated, the value of all of the things that made that gate really stand out did cause it to stand out more so than any of the other gates. Perhaps he thought maybe the location, because of the beauty of it, would soften the hearts of people that were going to worship, that were going into the temple. And so because their hearts were softened, they would give him a a larger gift. So maybe there was a strategic reason for being placed at that particular gate. I don't really know. But I'd say whatever the case, he called out to as many people as he could who were daily entering into the temple. And again, that could have been a strategic decision as well, placing himself where they're entering in as opposed to where they're exiting out. Someone that was entering in, uh, they were going hopefully with a heart prepared to worship, to offer something to the Lord. And so again, perhaps their heart would be focused on wanting to serve God and bless God in some way. So here became a a tangible way for them to put feet to their service, so to to speak, and help someone that was obviously in great need. It would be a natural motivator to give and to bless someone that, as they were going in to give and to bless God. Verse 3. And so this man sees Peter and John. It says, Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked in alms. So when he saw Peter and John, he asked for a gift. He asked for a donation, a blessing. He had done this countless times before, probably thousands of times before. He had asked for an alm. He had asked for a gift. So he was, as I made reference earlier, he was probably a a very common fixture at the beautiful gate. People knew him. And you know what happens to people like him? People most often... And they probably did this back in Bible days, too. They ignored him. They looked the other way. They perhaps pretended not to notice. Peter and John could have been talking to each other as friends going into the temple to worship God. And, and maybe you've been there. Maybe you've walked through the streets of Cleveland or even around North Olmstead, And you hear someone call out to you. And you pretend not to hear them because you're talking to someone else. Maybe you've heard that voice. And... Um, When Peter and John, we'll see here in the next verse, um, want to engage him, was the man looking at them? His eyes were down. In fact, Peter had to say, hey, look at us for a moment. Again, have you ever been there before? Maybe someone's asked you for something, and the thinking that goes on inside, and I can say this because these things have happened to me. This is how I've acted. If I don't make eye contact then we won't have to have a conversation. I'll just pretend that I'm busy, I've got somewhere to go, I'm not hearing, and just ignore them and they'll leave me alone. Again, we've all probably done that. I've certainly done that. Keep talking to whoever I'm with, pretend I didn't hear them. Certainly don't look at them. Otherwise, you might have to talk to them if our eyes would catch each other. So verse 4. 
Man asked for alms, verse 3. Verse 4, Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. Look on us. Again, that implies his eyes were down. He'd asked for alms thousands of times before, most likely. But Peter wasn't going to let this man's request bounce off him. No, he fastened, they fastened their eyes upon him, and they demanded this man's attention. Look on us. Again, based on what we see there in verse 4, it's likely his head was downward. He saw them, he called out, hoping for a gift, but knowing if you play the odds, the probability, I'm probably not going to get anything. That's why Peter had to cry out, look on us. And so this story reminded me of a number of things. One in particular, and I don't remember how long ago, it was at least a decade ago, Chris and I had been at a missions conference in Florida, and we were driving back from Florida. And uh, Georgia, I don't know where we were, Tennessee, searching through the radio station, and sometimes you, you catch a good radio station for a half hour, and then it you know, fizzles out as you are traveling through. And uh, I came across a man being interviewed. His name was Mike Yankowski. And I became just so interested in what this man had to say. And before the interview completed, I lost the radio station. So I went back and I found the book that he was, he was being interviewed about and talking about. And it's called Under the Overpass by Mike Yankowski. And if you've been in my Sunday school class, we've read this as a class years and years ago. And Mike Yankowski and his friend Sam were seminary students. And they were between uh, sessions, and Mike had a burden for the homeless. And he started asking himself, I wonder what it's really like to be homeless. So they developed this idea that they were going to make themselves homeless for a period of what, what turned out to be about five months. And they would go to major cities around the U.S., and they would be homeless in those cities for three to four weeks before they'd move on to the next. So they went to places like uh, Denver, Colorado, um, Washington, D.C., looking for the table of contents because each one is, each chapter is broken up into one of the cities. Portland, Oregon, San Francisco, Phoenix, San Diego, and all together, all told, they spent about five months as homeless. And they, they, they wanted to see how they would be treated and, and specifically how Christians would treat them and how the church would treat them. And they also readily acknowledged that they knew their their situation was not truly genuine because at any point in time, if things got too difficult or too dangerous, they could leave. They could call someone, someone would send them money for a bus ticket or a train, plane ticket, and they could fly home and um, get them out of that situation. So that in and of itself was a very significant difference of what most people that are experiencing homeless were going through. But some of the, the things that they wrote about in this book to me, it reminded me of this lame beggar that was uh, begging for alms outside the temple. And I just wanted to share a couple excerpts from it. 
And so in this particular chapter, they are in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, so Mike writes, I rolled over and, and saw beads of sweat already forming on my arms Saturday early morning in Phoenix. I reached for my glasses, shoved them onto my face, and watched as the world snapped into focus. Uh, during our trip, I couldn't have afforded to uh, spend food money on saline solution for contacts. Glasses were the only option if I wanted to see anything. Sam and I had spent the night in an out-of-the-way piece of lawn that was a part of a large church campus. Early as it was, carloads of people were already pulling up to the door, uh, a building not far away. Uh, we saw what looked like stainless steel buffet containers being carried indoors. Vivid, vivid pictures of omelets, donuts, fruit, and coffee instantly came to mind. You awake, Sam asked, already eyeing the activity. Yep, I replied, wonder what's going on over there. I think we have a Saturday morning service. I don't know, maybe. Sam and I both reached into our backpacks and grabbed our Bibles and journals. Mind you, it wasn't to make some kind of statement that these quiet times had become our normal morning habit on the streets. About 10 minutes later, two men walked up. They were neat, nicely dressed and moved with an air of authority, especially the guy in the white polo shirt. How's it going, guys? I asked as they approached. We need you to leave, the man in the white shirt said blankly. Oh, really? Why, Sam? Asked, obviously taken back by the guy's frankness. Didn't you see that, that we're reading our Bibles? Uh, he didn't say that. He's thinking that. Uh, you heard me. You need to leave, he said. You, can sit outside the you cannot sit outside the sanctuary like this. We've got a lot of people coming today, and you cannot be here. Without waiting for a response, he turned, and both men continued marching into the sanctuary. As I sat there perplexed, I said, I didn't expect that. I guess Sam was feeling cantankerous as I, because we both quickly decided that we weren't quite ready to leave. Let's hold on a little while and see what happens, I said, and we turned back to reading our, our Bibles and journaling. Uh, we didn't have to wait long. In five minutes, both men were back, and, and the man in the white polo shirt was fuming. What's the deal, guys? I told you, you need to leave, and you haven't moved. Yes, sir, I realize that, I said, trying to be as polite as possible. But you don't understand why. But we don't understand why. I told you why, the man's face reddened. Slowly, struggling to control his tone and volume, he stated his reason. Uh, we've got something going on, and you're not supposed to be on church grounds. I'll admit it, I gave up on polite at that point. Throwing my journal in my backpack, I said, Sir, forgive me for being troublesome, but what are church grounds for? This is nonsense, the man yelled. By now, he looked like he was going to blow a gasket. We couldn't stand here all day debating what church grounds are for. The fact is, they're not for this, and you need to leave now. With that, he turned, and both men stormed away again. After a moment or two of silence, Sam had a profound reaction. Wow, he said. My, my next thought was profound, too. Del Taco burritos are only 49 cents, and I said, it's only about a mile away. Neither of us wanted to think about how, dis how disgusted we felt. If there was any place on earth, any group of people in which a person must sense welcome acceptance of their presence is in the church. Yes, yeah, Sam agreed. I need, to be, I need to use the bathroom too, and I need to brush my teeth. We packed and started walking. A mile-long walk carrying backpacks in the hot Phoenix morning is a very long mile. We were sweating and miserable in no time, but we, as we walked, we prayed. They were honest, complaining, frustrated prayers. There were prayers too, asking for forgiveness for our attitudes, and there are prayers for the man in the white polo shirt for his conviction, uh, for the church he protected so annoyingly well from people like us. The next morning, we were back at the same Del Taco, cleaning up as best we could in the bathroom. It was Sunday, and we had a church we, had church we intended to visit. Guess which one? 
After a scrub and a bite of breakfast, we retraced our steps to the day, back the day before. Again, it was a scorching mile, and by the time we walked into the church lobby, we were dripping and radiating uh, the stench of life in the open. Welcome to our church, an usher said, forcing a smile. Good to be here, we replied, uh, but we meant it. In the cool sanctuary, we found an open row, took our packs off, sat down, uncomfortably conscious of the murmurs and stares. The lights dimmed, the service began, a choir followed by a more contemporary band. Toward the end of the music service, I looked around. The church was packed, except for three rows ahead of us and three rows behind us, and the full length of our pews. In the empty circle, there wasn't another person to be found. The pastor sermon, which lasted precisely 35 minutes, was interjected with an occasional enthusiastic amens from around the sanctuary. I leaned over to Sam. What says more about who you are in Christ? How loudly you say amen in the service or how well you treat strangers in the foyer? We both sat still feeling testy. Then the most surprising thing happened. After the benediction, as Sam and I prepared to leave, we heard a familiar voice. Guys, guys, it was Mr. White Polo Shirt, and he was rushing toward us. I let my pack drop, which was a good thing, because when he reached us, he threw his arms around both of us in a tight embrace. When he let go, he saw tears streaming down, we saw tears streaming down his face. He said, guys, I'm so sorry. I, have, I am so glad you came back. Forgive me for what I did and what I said and did yesterday. Forgive me. His voice trailed off. I can't believe that I did that. Uh, we're having a church breakfast. I kicked you out of church when I should have invited you in. Really, I'm sorry. Uh, by the way, I'm Terry. Of course, Sam. Sam and I were shocked. Uh, uh, we had prayed for this man, but well, never expected this. That's okay, I said. I put my hand on his shoulder. Honestly, it's okay. We forgive you. Uh, see, we've been traveling for a while, met some church folk, and almost, we're almost used to this by now. But that's just it, said Terry. You shouldn't be used to it. Christians should never make you accustomed to rejection. If there's any, anywhere you should feel accepted and loved, uh, it should be at a church. We all began to relax. Terry explained how he had been convicted the previous day as soon as we had left. He had actually jumped in his car and gone looking for us, hoping he could bring us back to join in the breakfast. And then he shared the most surprising fact of all. He said, I am the director of a homeless outreach program in the area, I should have known better. And then one last thing, not as long as that. So at the end of this book, Sam, answer, Sam and Mike answer some questions. It says, you and Sam lived on the streets for only five months. Do you think that you, uh, do you think you're really homeless? That's not the one, it was this one. Obviously, you and Sam uh, have a lot of hard stuff uh, while on the streets. If you could narrow it down to one thing, what would you say was the toughest aspect of living on the streets for those five months? And he says, by far the hardest aspect was a lack of stronger relationships. Of course, we're always hanging out with others, making new friends on the streets, having conversations with other homeless people. Nevertheless, uh, the streets can be a very lonely place, and we both felt that. And this was more than just mere homesickness or a longing for a warm, dry bed like the one we had slept on most of our lives. I believe that we as humans are created for community, and therefore one of the most fundamental needs is to be deeply known. The harsh reality of a person on the streets is that most people simply walk past and don't give you the time of day. While your friends within the homeless community may be gone for the ne gone the next week for any number of reasons. Though we were only there for five months, Sam and I felt this relational poverty strongly. Addressing this relational need, 
is one of the most difficult and essential aspects of caring for those on the streets. And then the last thing here, uh, what is one memorable interaction you had with a homeless person when you and Sam came back off the streets? And he said, there have been many interactions with homeless people since Sam and I came back, but one stands out in particular. I was back in Portland, Oregon, about two years after Sam and I had been on the streets there. Um, he said, I had a few extra hours and a few extra dollars, so I went to a small burrito stand and I bought 10 $2 bean and cheese burritos. I then spent the next few hours sitting down next to homeless people at some of Sam and my, uh, my old spots, offering them a burrito and shooting the breeze with them. I asked them questions like, where are you from? How long have you been in Portland? What sports do you like? Just trying to engage them and treat them like human beings. It was in broad daylight and I was in a public area with lots of other people in the vicinity, so I felt, uh, I felt comfortable doing this alone. One of the guys stopped chewing halfway through his burrito and looked straight at me. He said, Mike, do you realize that you've changed my whole week? I stared at him in complete disbelief. Was the burrito really that good? What do you mean? I'll never forget his response. You're the first person who has talked to me all week. Thank you. I couldn't speak. Five minutes of my day and $2 worth of bean burritos changed someone's week. Sometimes it's easy to walk by because we, we know we can't change someone's whole life in a single afternoon. But what we fail to realize is that simple kindness can, can go a long way toward encouraging someone who is stuck in a desolate place. That's powerful. That's what I thought of as I read about this lame man sitting at the beautiful gate asking for alms, and as soon as he asked that, his head went back down because people just don't talk to someone as lowly as he is. And so it was surprising when Peter and John called out and said, look on us, look on us, lift up your head. And so, again, I'd encourage you, under the overpass, Mike Yankowski, it's a great read. So when the man finally lifted his head and looked upon Peter and John, what did he see? Did he see a couple of really rich men who were just loaded with cash and are ready to, to, to give him a, just an enormous gift? No, he saw two simple Galilean fishermen. They certainly didn't look rich. They didn't look, didn't look like men who would be able to give a big gift. And perhaps his hopes were dashed based on that initial impression that he may have had of these two men. But these were not two ordinary Galilean fishermen, right? These men had been with Jesus, and they had been changed by Jesus, and they were now filled with the Holy Ghost, and these men wanted their new friend to see and to know and to experience the same Jesus that they had. He needed to see Jesus in them. You know, this man and his plight, sitting at the, the beautiful gate, is really a picture of the entire fallen human race. There's another man I thought of when I, when I thought of this story here, Look back at Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 4. Familiar with a man by the name of Mephibosheth? Mephibosheth, another great story of a man who was lame. 2 Samuel chapter 4. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, who was the son of King Saul. And as many of you know the story, things didn't go so well for King Saul. His kingdom eventually fell. David would eventually replace him as king, but there was a period of time. Saul tried to kill David numerous times because he was jealous 
of how God was using him. And so in verse 4, in, in a moment of, of uh, trying to flee for their lives, we read, And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame on his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and, uh, of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. So they were fleeing for their lives. And, and when the nurse took him up and fled, it came to pass that as she made haste to flee, that she fell, she fell on top of him and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So he was born able to walk, but at a very early age, he had an accident and he became lame. So let's read about, a little bit more about him in 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you remember, David had a, just a beautiful, loving friendship with Saul's son, Jonathan. And um, Jonathan did not survive the battles that took place as the kingdoms fell. And uh, David began to thank on Jonathan. So in chapter 9, 2 Samuel, verse 1, and David said, Is there yet any that is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was in the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba, and when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there not yet any in the house of Saul that I may show kindness, the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto, unto the king, Jonathan hath a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil and Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machir, the son of Emil and Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land, all the land of Saul thy father, and of thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, what is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I? Then the king said Ziba, to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I have given unto thy master's son all that pertain to Saul and all his house. Thou therefore and thy sons and thy servants shall till the land for him, and thou shalt bring in the fruits, and thy master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, thy master's son, shall eat bread always at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And then last, verse 13, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, and he did eat continually at the king's table and was lame on both his feet. Boy, there's just, again, there's so much going on in, in uh, that story as well. I said earlier, the man, the layman at the beautiful gate was a picture of all humanity. Mephibosheth was a picture of all humanity. David, in this story, is a picture of of the amazing grace of our God who gave favor and undeserved merit as he showed us kindness, who came to us in our lame, fallen, sickened condition and ultimately made it possible for us to be saved. He brought into the king's house, adopted as one of his sons to sit at the table of Almighty God for all eternity. What an amazing, beautiful story that is. That's the story that Peter and John were wanting to share with this layman sitting at the temple gate. We've all fallen. We've all, we're all crippled um, by our sin. We are, all, we are all lame because of our sin. 
no ability to heal ourselves, just to sit there and beg until ultimately the Savior comes along and offers us that gift of salvation and heals us of our broken, lame, fallen condition. Verse 4, And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. Verse 5, And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So the man lifted his, his, his head, expecting to receive something, possibly a coin. He's saying, oh, I know they don't look rich, but maybe there's something they can give me. What are they going to give me? Expected an all, a blessing, a gift. And indeed, he would receive a gift, but much bigger than he ever expected. Verse, verse 6, again, Peter said, we don't have silver and gold, but what we have, we're going to give to you. So the man wanted money. What he needed was a miracle. Peter didn't have money to offer him, but he did have a miracle to share with him. Peter and John were poor, at least in the world's eyes, but they were abundantly rich towards God. And that's what they wanted to pass on to this lame man. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Not all of us here could ever boast that we were rich, at least from the world's Standards. In fact, most of us would say, uh, in, in many ways, we, we struggle. But um, the reality is that we have great riches. Second Corinthians 8 and verse 9, in the whole context of 8 and 9 here, deal with giving. It says, For, we, uh, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And that describes us as believers. We have been made rich through the poverty of Jesus Christ who left the riches and the glories of heaven to come and live in this earth and live that perfect sinless life, offering his life upon the cross, again, which Peter had just preached a few verses before and many got saved. And because of that, we experience great riches because of our Savior. So the man wanted money. He needed a miracle. Peter didn't have money, but he had a miracle to give him. He said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know, it's likely that this man had heard about Jesus. Uh, his name had been heard all throughout Jerusalem. Again, think back to the events that unfolded over the last several weeks. Uh, to most, they were confused as to who Jesus was. Some, some had said he was the long-awaited Messiah. Uh, but then... News had gotten out. He had been executed. He had been put to death by the Romans. But uh, at the uh, full support of the Jewish leadership as well. But then there are rumors that he, is, he had come back to life. And that some had even seen him in Jerusalem in a resurrected, come back to life body. And so yes, it's likely that this man had heard of Jesus. Maybe he even heard of some of the miracles and the healing that Jesus had performed in other parts of, of Israel. And wondering why hasn't... Why haven't I got my chance? Again, perhaps he thought maybe the name of Jesus piqued his interest, the idea of a miracle. Could he heal me? Would he heal me? Here Peter asks this man to put his faith, his trust, in that very same Jesus. Get back to Acts 3 here. He said, rise up and walk. 
In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And as Peter says that, Peter stretches forth his hand to this man. Verse 7, it says, And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. This man's cure, this man's healing was instant. The man who had never taken a single step in his entire life immediately received strength in his feet and in his ankles, and he leaps up, and he stands in verse 8, and he leaping up stood and walked and entered into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. I mean, what a sight that had to have been to have seen. Again, these events really happen. Can you see it in your mind's eyes as you take yourself back to that event thousands of years ago and see this man running and jumping and dancing through the temple, praising God? Imagine the sheer joy. A man who had never taken a step in his entire life is now running around the temple praising his new Savior. What an amazing sight. Praising God at the end of verse 8. Verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. All those people who had seen him at the beautiful gate for however long he was there, possibly many, many years, who had perhaps maybe were annoyed by his presence. Why is he always asking me for a, a gift? And why do I always have to be, have that awkward moment where I pretend not to hear him or I look the other way or I, I just ignore him altogether? Uh, again, the disdain that they had for him, perhaps judging him, maybe saying he's, he's probably lame because some sin that his parents committed. He's probably getting what he deserved. And again, we know sometimes where our mind can take us in areas that we know are not pleasing to the Lord in terms of the way we think. But now they see this man praising God and leaping and walking and full of strength and full of joy and praise. He's no longer in need of charity. He has been set free. He has been healed. And now he's praising God. Again, notice he's not praising Peter and John, those who pronounced that healing upon him. He is praising God. That's significant there. And the people were astonished. Verse 10, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. So the man was now in the temple with other believers in the place where the saved ones were gathering to pray and to fellowship and to sing praise to their Lord. And the miracle of salvation, it should astonish others, right? It should get others' attention. The lost world should see something about a saved person who gets gloriously born again because there's something dramatically different about them from who they had been, what they had been in the past. What a beautiful story. And I hope the Lord brought it to life in your light, in your light again tonight as you think back on these events that really happened so many years ago. Well, let's look at a couple of applications from these 10 verses here in Acts chapter 3. The first one is simply this. Let others see Jesus in you. Let others see Jesus in you. When people look on you, what do they see? What do they see? Your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, strangers, people on the interstate, people around North Olmstead as you're driving, what do they see? A nice person? A moral person? A good person? Those are good. I want to be those things. 
But is that all they see? Do they see Jesus? And we'll talk about momentarily what that looks like practically. Let others see Jesus in you. That's a determination. Lord, I want to be light and salt for you in this world. And I want other people to see not me, but Jesus. Number two, reach your hand to others. Reach out your hand to others. Reach out your hand to others. What do you have to give to somebody today? Personally, I don't recommend giving away money to panhandlers on the street. And that's a principle that uh, I have made in the past and just haven't done it. We have so much more to give them anyways than money. Perhaps it's a kind word or maybe it begins with a kind word or a gesture. Uh, Can I buy you lunch? I've done that many times. Someone asking for money and say, hey, can I take you over there and get something for you to eat? Or can I run to McDonald's down the street and bring it back to you and do that? So can I bring you lunch? Can I give you this uh, bag of essential items that we uh, put together in missions conference that had things in it that would help them? Can I give you this, this pamphlet, this track to read when you have a chance? Again, reach out your hand to others. It, it begins with a, a purposeful decision to do that, to not look away. And you're going to have to fight that temptation. Again, I've been there. If I look at them, if our eyes make contact with each other, then he's going to ask me for something. And I don't want to give him money. And I don't know what to say, and is, are they going to hurt me? And, you know, obviously it takes some wisdom there, and it takes some leadership of the Holy Ghost. There may, may be times when we just need to leave. But um, reach your hand out to others. Commit to do this. Commit to reaching out your hand to someone in need tomorrow. Uh, this past Sunday evening, Brother Ron just mentioned to me, um, kind of out of the blue, he said, hey, i got a good movie for you to watch. And it was called... Mully, M-U-L-L-Y. And I watched that last night. And I wept, sobbing. I had to go outside, pretend I was getting firewood because I could not control myself about what God did in this man, Mully. It's a documentary. It's not necessarily a movie of a man in Africa and the heart he had for abandoned orphan children in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya. And, boy, you talk about your eye affecting your heart. Um, I would commend that movie to you to take an hour of your time and watch Molly. Grab the tissues. But you'll, you'll, the movement is, God, you are so good. The love that you have, the grace that you have, the miracles that you still perform, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll really move you. So I challenge you to, to, to uh, watch that movie and come back and... Tell me so we can talk about it together and praise God together. So reach your hand out to someone. And then finally, nurture praise and gratitude. Again, you hear me say this a lot. This is kind of a theme of my ministry, not because I'm so good at it, because I just have to keep reminding myself over and over and over again that I need to keep trying to develop this attitude of thankfulness and this attitude of praise to the Lord in my life. We do have so much to be thankful for. Don't be quiet about it. Don't, don't be embarrassed about it. Um, let others know. Look for every opportunity you can to brag on God because he's done so much for us. And then just do it unashamedly. If the tears come, let them flow. 
because you're praising your, your Savior. Tell others about the goodness of your God and all that he has done for you and how he has saved you and made you whole and how he wants to do the same for you as well. Again, nurture praise and gratitude. This man certainly had a lot to praise the Lord about. He had never taken a step in his entire life. And in a moment, he received strength. And he's praising God and leaping and jumping and uh, standing. What a blessing. So from lame to leaping. Again, hopefully that describes us in our walk. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance to gather here this evening. Thank you for your, your word, Lord, how, how alive it is, how it comes off the page and, and challenges us and speaks to us, even though we may have read this dozens or hundreds of times. But, Lord, I'm so thankful that uh, your servants were faithful, who didn't look away, didn't pretend not to notice, but engaged this man, and you worked through them. And, Lord, in the same way, you'll work through us when we don't know what to say. But, Lord, just take that step and open our mouths boldly and let you do the rest. Father, we do love you. ask you to bless these uh, few closing moments here in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, just a couple questions before we get to our prayer time. Question number one I have. Uh, I admit that let them see Jesus in you is a rather generic platitude. Again, sometimes we say that. So how do we go about making that a reality? What does that look like? on a day-by-day basis, a practical basis for you, for me. Let them see Jesus in you. How do we do that? Cheryl. Amen. So live it out. Live out this new life that resides inside of us. Hear and obey, as I think Pastor Bill preached on on, uh, Sunday evening. Live it out. And uh, so the things that we say we believe, we do. And just that gets attention in our world today. And that creates opportunities to be salt and light, to let others see Jesus in you. And I've heard many testimonies over the years of people in this room who have done that, And those that you never thought were paying attention or listening or even mocking you, when something gets difficult, they come to you and say, would you pray for me? What would you do? How should I handle this situation? So what else? That's that's great, Cheryl. Any other ideas? Living that out practically. Let others see Jesus in you. Yes, Lynn.
That's good. Very good. Again, that's just living out the life that we say is part of us. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Nancy. Very good. I think being real, you know, none of us have arrived. You've heard me say I've been saved 47 years, and I'm not yet like Christ. And there are times I've, I uh, disappoint or grieve my Savior and uh, acknowledge it, repent of it, ask the Lord to forgive and keep moving forward. But even that sometimes speaks to others that uh, uh, none of us are, we're going to make mistakes. So just be transparent, be real. Share what the Lord has taught you. And I'm not saying justify that behavior by any means, but the Lord teaches us in those situations. And so we grow through it. All right, what are, what are ways that you can be more active and effective in reaching out? Again, I know that's pretty generic, but what are ways that you can be more active and effective in reaching out? This time of the year, it's a giving time. People are in generally good moods. I mean, they can be grumpy because of whatever, traffic. or. But we have a, a large supply of tracks, Christmas tracks, on the wall and then at the carousel as you exit. Grab some of those and um, give them out. Within those are the words of life. And just allow the Holy Spirit to uh, work through them. And say, hey, when you get a few minutes... Read this. I know you'll be blessed by it. I was. And uh, so that's one simple way. Other thoughts? Ben? Yeah, that's excellent. And again, we can get so busy in this time of the year that we fail to do those things. So I said it from last week, turn your gaze outward. So even just in our building tonight, as you're finishing up in the auditorium, as you're walking out, keep this thought in mind. Who needs encouraged in this building night? Who can I say a kind word to? I'm praying for you. Um, who can I send a text to later or shoot an email to and just say, hey, I love you. You know, maybe it was a hard week or you've had a difficult day, but, um, you know, press on. Continue. Keep at it. The Lord's there. The Lord will help you. And so uh, a lot of, this is a hard time, for a hard time of the year for a lot of people, so always be looking. Try to turn that gaze outward, even though you may have your own struggles, and say, How, who can I bless? Again, and as you do that, you, became, you become more like Christ because that's exactly what he did. Amen. Well, I'll stop there. We have some, I had a couple other questions, but uh, let's get to some prayer time here as we begin to wrap things up. Everybody have a prayer sheet?